This podcast was recorded following prolonged exposure to the wine vortex. Listener discretion is advised. The Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in wine and space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Hello everyone and a very, very warm welcome to the Exton Moss Pride Special 2021. I'm Ken Moss and I am proud to introduce my packet of facts. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) Can I just check? We're we're the gay ones, remember? (laughs) Who are you again? (laughs) I'm Simon Exton. (laughs) I'm Alan Fogg. And I'm Paul Isles Rush. We're here again, and what are we looking at this year? Queer as folk. Yes, uh, we are going to start out with the English version, which was 1999, I think, wasn't it? It was transmitted between the 23rd of February 1999 to the 13th of April 1999. And for those of you that don't know it, uh, where the fuck have you been? It was one of the television events of the year, and as is, to this day, I think, remains a bit of a landmark. I, I am the only straight in the room, but uh, even I recognise what a major landmark it was at the time. Uh, guys, before we actually go and sort of rewatch the thing what are your recollections of it fairly groundbreaking because we have two to get in of course okay let's get out the tonic screwdriver this couldn't have gone any better i know (laughs) i'm a bit syndromey at the night syndromic (laughs) yes dr exton's giving me the nod i better get out the tonic screwdriver and whip the gin off the top Uh, today we are drinking. I don't know, knowing some of the fellows I know, the, the first description works. <laughs> today we are drinking Stonewall's Extra Smooth Gin. And the info bollocks, oh God, cue the music. Twentieth of June, nineteen sixty-nine. The Stonewall in Bar, New York, one twenty a.m. The music went on. The lights came on. 205 courageous people stood. This date marks the event where our struggle for acceptance would soar on the shoulders of an underground society. On this date, the Stonewall Inn unknowingly became the birthplace of the global gay pride movement, changing the world forever as we knew it. The community fought back for our rights against oppressive policing and for our acceptance. Over 50 years have passed and the struggle for acceptance and equality is still very much alive in many parts of the world. I am Joe and I help create this product along with family members who produce spirits. I rediscovered the history of the Stonewall riots and wanted to help tell again the story. So recognising our predecessors and for my freedoms today, to do my bit for the cause, for every bottle sold, we will donate £1 to the Stonewall charity to continue the ongoing worldwide struggle for acceptance. Handcrafted and small batch distilled with eight botanicals including almonds, sea buckthorn, berries, cardamom and citrus peel. Well, guys, you, you really do need to brush up on your grammar. I've tidied that up a bit for you. Uh, that's actually quite powerful info bollocks. Well, it's quite moving. Yeah. It, it is. It ignores the fact that the main drivers of the, of the Stonewall riots were transgender sex workers of colour. So people like Marsha Johnson, 
Give us a history lesson. That, that's it. Uh, the, the Stonewall Inn was known as a, sort of a gathering place for people who couldn't really go anywhere else. And the the riot came about because there was a police raid, and they, they were very, very used to police raids, and there was a, a New York City ordinance that anybody had to be wearing three pieces of gender-appropriate clothing. <laughs> um, so these these... Transgender women would be stripped to determine the gender appropriateness of their clothing. And on the night... That nice pe- work if you can get it. <laughs> That's unbelievably true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, come on. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I mean, um, that's stupid. There's lots of bigotry that's stupid. I mean, we'll be here all week if we start making a list. <laughs> yes. I'd like to make sure that you're uh, a man. Would you mind awfully taking off your boxer shorts? Just to double check. That's, that's awful. Yeah. And Marsha Johnson was one of the trans women who frequented the Stonewall Inn. She was a woman of colour. She was a sex worker. And the thing that really kicked it off on that particular night was because... Everybody was terribly upset that Judy Garland had died. You see, I've got, I've got to say, um, I'm sorry, uh, Alan and Paul, I know that I've not let you call him at all at, at this point, but the Pride episodes that we've done, they've all been, uh, I know that you three know exactly, you, you know the history and you know a, a, an awful lot about this sort of thing. A lot of straight people don't. I don't know anything about this. Last year we did a very English sex scandal, which I thought was going to be a you know a, a terribly nice sort of uh, sort of docu biopic. And uh, actually, I ended up in floods of tears because it was so it, it threw into sharp relief how lonely gay men must have been at the time. And I found it, I found it very very sad. We've taken the piss slightly with this Stonewall Gin thing, but that's well, awful. I had you n- have none of the rest of us have. Be quiet. Um, <laughs> Uh, the one thing I will say about the Stonewall Extra Smooth Gin... Not the uh, least oppressive. Uh, but anyway, should we actually review the gin? Yes, because the last Pride Gin was not good. The last Pride Gin... <laughs> That's the one I gave zero. It was, it was yes. ...was sorry. not good. It was diabolical. It, yeah. that well, was, no, it wasn't, it wasn't unpleasant. It, it was didn't vodka. taste of anything. It was vodka. Yeah, it was massively over-distilled. Anyway. Well, as that ever... It doesn't really smell of it. No, it doesn't, no, it doesn't smell, smell of anything. Thing. Alan, what do you think? Yeah, it's nice, it's... There's no flavours that ultimately stand out to me, but it's perfectly good sipping. Paul? It's nice. It's, it's a gin and tonic, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> There's nothing outstanding, but it didn't, it didn't claim in the info bollocks to be anything other than gin. It's gin. Oh, really, really. My, my dream for this is that info bollocks heads into Urban Dictionary or something, or the OED. We, we get that level of greatness. Dr. Exton. We use the word at work. <laughs> that, it's nothing exceptional, but it is very nice. It, it is smooth. smooth. It, it's smooth. It tastes like gin and tonic. It has no additional flavours. I don't think it really needs them. Um, it's a perfectly nice gin and tonic. I'm going to give this a four. It's it's very nice as standard gins go. Uh, and in terms of uh, if I was you guys and I wanted something to represent pride, I think I would go for that over pride gin, which was diabolically <laughs> awful. I agree with that completely in terms of this is an awful lot better than pride gin. Uh, it's got really nice rainbow heart label on it. It's a three from me. It's it's a gin and tonic. I like gin and tonic. There is nothing remarkable about it at all. I've I've been to the Stonewall Inn and uh, and it's just it's a fairly unremarkable bar. 
it's really nice. There's lots of history there, lots of graffiti on the walls and stuff. I think that this would be really nice on the on the optics there. <laughs> uh, extra dollar for a double. Yeah, it, it tastes like gin and I'd happily drink it there. I'm going to give this a three. Alan? To me, I think the summary that it's perfectly drinkable. Yep, I would give it a three as well. Um does it really stand out as being anything special? Is it really anything that makes you think Stonewall applied community flamboyant? No, I think it should have been. Uh, no, that's that's a very very good appraisal, and um, we've well we certainly said it last year, but um, year before was that two years ago? Yes, because we did that um, Welsh orange marmalade one last year because <laughs> you said you wanted something fruity. Oh, matron. <laughs> that was nice, actually, that marmalade one. I really it quite it like was that. once, once yeah. you poured half a bottle into the glass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> God, yes. But yeah, the, the Pride Gin was the year before when we did... Was that not the year I ended up in tears? Was that not the one? You've done that every year. That really doesn't narrow it down. How many podcasts been going yeah. on for there was now? Med- well, aren't they? Metrosexuality. <laughs> there was metrosexuality. Um, oh, the painting one. The, uh, the man oh, in the orange shirt. Oh, the man in the orange shirt. Oh, that was oh, amazing. I, I love that. that. Yeah. yeah. And Rick and Steve. Rick and Steve, <laughs> the happiest gay couple in all the world. Yes. So um, after a fairly lengthy and, and rather in-depth uh, historical gin review, gentlemen, I've, I've got to say, uh, all piss-taking aside, learning about the history of, uh, of the gays, the ways of the gays, I am genuinely interested in all this, and it's it's lovely to hear all this. There's a really good dramatisation of the Stonewall riots that was done on the BBC's Arena Strand, oh, God, probably 20 years 20 ago. 20 years ago, at least, um, probably 30. Really, really well worth watching. We'll, we'll do that at some point. But without was further ado... Was Marsha Johnson the one that had a corpse in, a, in her cupboard when she died? I think so, yeah. Yeah. This is painting a very interesting picture, but I'm going to uh, cast us back to 1999. It's Channel 4. It's Queer as Folk. How much fun can three lads have together? Vince is in love with his best friend. Six months since I've had a shag. It's like Pavlov's dogs. Nathan loves the first person he slept with. I can feel it now. It's like he's left a space. He said he loved me. And Stuart? Stuart loves himself. King of the world! I'm always Kate Winslet. So that's the whole love thing sorted. Queer as Folk starts next Tuesday, 10.30 on 4. Okay, that was Queer as Folk, the uh, first UK series from 1999. Dr. Exxon, this is usually where you come in with uh, a pricey and or notes. What have you got to say on the subject? It's all a bit good, isn't it? Um, it's the story of three gay men in Manchester. Stuart, who is a late 20s advertising executive and a bit of an arsehole, frankly. Um, (laughs) He is selfish and self-absorbed and everything is about him and him getting his rocks off. There is his best friend, Vince, who has been carrying a torch for Stuart for years, runs about after him like some sort of poor little lapdog and will pick Stuart up when he's got himself absolutely wankered of an evening and hang around and wait for him to finish his shag before he drives him home and is really quite put upon. And then there's the 16-year-old lad, uh, no, 15, isn't he? He's 15, 15 yeah. 15. 15. 15-year-old lad, Nathan, who meets Stuart on, the fir- on his first night out in, in Canal Street. Uh, on the night that they meet, Stuart 
baby by um, a lesbian friend is born. So the three fellows end up in hospital. Nathan's running around doing the getting everybody cups of coffee and stuff to eat and flowers and all the, uh, and all. Stuart's up on the roof having a fairly self-centered existential crisis and Vince is there holding his hand. And carrying on through the series, there are some other friends of theirs, one of whom dies of a drug overdose. And at his funeral, Vince meets Cameron, who is a um, an accountant, starts a relationship with Cameron, which really puts Stuart's nose out of joint because Stuart is no longer the most important thing in Vince's life, although actually he still remains the most important thing in Vince's life. There is Vince's mum, who is wildly enthusiastic about the, the gay scene. There is her best friend, Bernie, who's an, an older gay man, uh, lives with her. And a very flamboyant friend of theirs who is estranged from his family and partway through his his dad is dying of cancer and the only thing his mum is interested in is that he's not going to put a, a claim on the estate. There's the, the lesbian couple, one of which has carried Stuart's baby. Um, she takes a, co- a foreign colleague into the house. Uh, they're planning a marriage of convenience so that he can stay in the country and that all falls apart. Things finally come to a head for Vince's 30th birthday party. He's not out at work. There's a a girl that he has, that his colleagues have been kind of pushing him into a relationship with. He's he's then in a relationship with Cameron, but describes Cameron as girlfriend at work. Stuart arranges for this girl to come to Vince's 30th birthday party. She is absolutely shocked to find out that the girlfriend is actually a boyfriend. But then they, they reconcile afterwards and uh, she doesn't say anything at work. It gives Vince the impetus to out himself at work. There's a a final break in the friendship between Vince and Stuart so that Vince can go and and find a happy life with Cameron. But he realises that Cameron is kind of as controlling as as Stuart was in his way uh, and so breaks up with Cameron. And then Vince and Stuart reconnect, but on a more equal footing, the end. Yeah, I've not seen this since it was originally transmitted. And in fact, Paul, I was with you. I remember watching the first episode we were in. I seem to remember being in Hull. We'd gone <laughs> to see Jackie Hornby yes. when she was in, and we watched it in her rooms. And I was amazed, actually, that in 20, what, 21, 22 years, the certain scenes I could picture absolutely graphically accurate after all that time, it's a measure of how good it was as a series that it had imprinted itself that well. The series itself, um, there are flaws in it. It's not the, um, the the great perfection that I thought it was. Uh, I think some of the acting is actually quite wooden. Uh, the actor who plays Nathan, whose name I can't remember. Charlie Hunnam. Charlie Hunnam. <laughs> the, the gays straight in there. And um, Vince. Craig Kelly. Kelly. Yeah. Certainly, I think it takes the two of them a little while to actually settle into the the role. It takes them a few episodes before they they come across as natural. Because some of the the certainly episodes one to three, I thought actually some of their lines were a little bit stilted actually compared to to the others. Uh, Aidan Gillen as Stewart, good grief, uh, he hits the ground running and and really really takes off with that role. But he won the BAFTA for best actor that year. Did he? Uh, yeah. I didn't know that, but but very, very unsurprisingly. Mm. Considering the conversations we've had recently about It's a Sin, 
and Russell T. Davis's assertion that uh, only gay men should play gay roles, considering the three leads are all straight, I think? Yes. I yeah. They're bloody convincing as, as gay men, uh, and I had to Wikipedia the fact that none of them were gay in order to determine that they weren't gay, so surely that's a measure of their acting ability. Absolutely. I mean, of all of the major characters, the only one played by a gay actor was the one played by Anthony Cotton. <laughs> Anthony <laughs> Cotton's gay. Um, he's, uh, he's putting, he's gay for pay, I believe, Anthony <laughs> Cotton. He, he's just, I, I've got to say, Anthony Cotton was the, the big surprise for me because I thought it was Anthony Cotton. I thought, surely. And then I looked at him, I thought, no, that doesn't look like Anthony Cotton, but it is. Yeah. He must have filled out quite a little bit because he was in he started in coronation street only a few years after didn't he is that right no the year before i think because i barely recognize him i recognize his voice but physically and facially he, he's a lot thinner than he is in coronation street yeah we were probably all a lot thinner in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> you have been staying <laughs> i only ever remember seeing him sort of vaguely similar to how he is and wasn't he background artist on Coronation Street for quite a long time before he stepped up to a speaking role? Oh, I don't I think so. This yeah. is your guy, yeah. Never watched Coronation Street, so I can't chip in here. It's all ex-wife territory and, and yeah. ex-partner territory. They, they both <laughs> watched Coronation Street and Emmerdale, so that's the only reason I know anything about them. Oh, well, you see, I used, to, I used to watch Coronation Street with my gran. Um, I mean, this was back in Ina Sharple's days. The bit of curry. Well, we're sort of in the right area. We're in we're in the sort of well, Manchester Denise, area. Denise Black is um, was Coronation Street as well, wasn't yeah, she? she? Was, wasn't yeah, she was. Wasn't she the one of the hairdressers? She was. She was married. She certainly slept with Ken Barlow. Well, who hasn't? <laughs> I don't think anyone around this table can deny it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of changing my my surname to Barlow to see if it improves my options any. <laughs> The thing that struck me rewatching it, because I've seen it a couple of times since it was originally transmitted, but I haven't seen it for years and years. Compared to modern television, it's very slow. Mm. Yes, but it's with a few things that we've watched of the sort of the late 90s vintage. I'm quite surprised at how modern it is. I wasn't bored, but I, I'm, You're not I'm with. comparing it to virtual murder, are you? Yeah, <laughs> but. <laughs> But no, the, the actual pacing of the story is, is, I've got to say, it's typical Russell T. Davis. And the uh, the tropes are Russell T. Davis too, I tell you. You've got the the sympathetic character that's sort of backgrounded, but then he's thrown to the fore and then thrown under a train, which is the heroine guy, the one who snorts heroin by mistake. What's his name? Phil. That, that's the gentleman. It wasn't by mistake. Oh, no, no, it wasn't, but I don't think he... Uh, it, that was uh, clearly sort of a, a heroin reaction rather than a cocaine, I think. You know, knowing a great deal about drugs that I do. Yeah. But either way, um, you know, this character... And it does flag up even when you're watching it. This character's been quite backgrounded. Why is he suddenly thrown to the fore? This is sudden... Something's not right here. And lo and behold, five minutes later, he's dead on the yep. kitchen floor. <laughs> Stuart Jones, you know, this pretty gay character. He's pretty awful to everybody. And yet he does some fairly awful things. He drives the Jeep through the showroom window on a whim because somebody said something vaguely homophobic. The music strikes up. He is, you know, sort of the king of the world. Whereas in reality, you know, he would have been arrested the next day. Yeah. Like any other normal person, gay or otherwise. The whole 999 confrontation with the, the father, realistically, if the police had got involved at that point, 
uh, driving into the back of the car versus shagging a 15-year-old lad. <laughs> we know which the police would have had a, a dimmer view of. So, yeah, Stuart comes across as a bit of an ass, but he's written as one. The one that I think really comes across badly, and I hadn't twigged it uh, until I rewatched it this time, is Nathan. Mm, yes, yeah. agreed. Nathan yes. is a selfish little twat. Yes. But but he's a boy, though. He's a, he's a little boy. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I was at school 10 years before before that. Presumably this is more, you're in, you're in Ken's territory. <laughs> but the way he behaved at school, he would have got a kicking. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and um, actually in the American one, he does. Nathan, actually, apart from being played by um, the, the pretty boy of the ensemble, and it's 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 undeniable, but was there a sympathetic character? Uh, the only one is Vince, really. The only, the only one you feel for at all is Vince. Everybody else is actually quite awful. You'd probably go no, out. Vince's mum and Bernie, I thought, were great. Um, Donna is really sympathetic. Oh, true, and yes. That, true, that whole yeah, bit where she's yeah. going on about um, not everything revolves around you, where Nathan was coming out with another one of his ranty diatribes, and it's obvious that she's shagged the school bully and then being <laughs> ghosted. And Nathan has no interest in talking about it, doesn't ask her about her life or, or anything. And an interesting thing about the second series, and I know we're not really talking mm. about that, but in the, in the second series, she doesn't appear in that. And really? The, no. Uh, I don't remember a bloody thing about the second series. I've not seen any of these since the first one. There wasn't much yet. to remember from um, the second no. series. <laughs> she was supposed to appear in it, and the actress had a, a scheduling commitment and couldn't. And there's a, um, a comment towards the end that, oh, well, he, he had his friend when he first came here, but he didn't need her anymore, so he dropped her. The one thing that I do remember, and it's a testament to whoever directed these things, I should probably know, I can remember the shots, individual shots, 20-odd years later on, crystal clear. Yeah. And I've rewatched these this week. And there are two different directors. For so first and second series or for the first series? The first series, um, there was one director for the first four episodes and one director for the second four episodes. I know Sarah Harding. It's from Girls Aloud. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she realised that directing wasn't her thing, so got into girl bands, especially because she was about four at the time. Yeah, so this, um... as I was saying that, I was realising <laughs> I may have got the name slightly wrong, but in a terribly gay way. <laughs> Some of the the certain shots that I, I remember full well. There's when um, there's the rimming scene. <laughs> Oh, God. Bear in mind, I was watching this from a straight perspective. Mm. You guys, I mean, you two by that point were out. Paul, you were uh, on the verge of... No, I wasn't. We, I wasn't, we, I wasn't, I wasn't know, no. but, but you all by that point knew which way your... Around uh, about that time. Your was compass was pointing. Yeah. 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 Uh, so all of this presumably would have been sort of, you know, for the straight audience, that would have been, really? Does this really go on in polite society? Uh, and... I, honestly, I'm, I'm serious about this. I think the eye-openers uh, for the straight community, certainly looking at it from my perspective, were really, gays have sex that way, do they? they well, it's not, it's not sort of all you know, legs apart, bottom in the air. It's, 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 it's slightly more to it than that. It's, uh, and I, I genuinely rem I remember people talking at the time and, and they had no idea that the missionary position was also a gay position as well. <laughs> I, I, it sounds laughable now, but um, but twenty years ago, that is genuinely the reaction of of people around me at the time. I was just starting to explore the gay world then at that point because up to that time, a great group of friends, and I was doing the whole straight thing and enjoying life. 
Um, and then everybody started setting down having kids and I thought, actually, I need to explore this other side of mm. things that I've sort of been burying and putting away. And when I saw that, um, it was, wow, that was quite a quite an eye-opener. I hadn't been to a gay bar, gay club, didn't know anybody who was out as gay. So that was quite, you know, I was watching it go, oh, bloody, bloody hell. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. Yeah, because I was living in West London, you know, started exploring the whole sort of London and then travelling for work. So I was up in Manchester and places like that and realised that, yes, actually, it's a great world. But I really enjoyed it. It's it sort of made it. Well, we're still talking about it now, twenty yeah. years on. Yeah. It was of its time and the cutting edge, and made you realise, oh, actually, bloody hell, there's a completely different world out there that mm. you weren't aware of. Yeah, and we obviously don't live too far from Manchester, so it was it was very much the same thing. We were, mm. it was like, well, there is this scene, this you know, where people can can be who they are. Yeah, and yeah, I I wasn't out at the time, and it definitely played a part in encouraging me to start the journey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there was actually uh, really quite a negative reaction at the time as well, and people saying, "Oh, Canal Street was ruined by this." Oh, yeah. There wasn't enough lesbian representation in it. There wasn't enough um... discussion of AIDS, I believe. Although it is in there. It's ve- um, in fact one of the. The first or second episodes when they're discussing paternity agreements around the table, it's skirted around, but it's a very sort of veiled reference to to AIDS. I'm surprised by calling about lesbians because there was a lesbians obviously with a with, with a kid, um, it, and it wasn't about lesbians. It was about a group of gay friends. Yeah, Not- and I I think that is a perfectly reasonable comment. And yes, there isn't a massive amount of lesbian representation, and there isn't any representation of of people of colour, but that that's not what the story was about. No. I mean, I've gone on in the intervening years, certainly in the intervening couple of years when we've done Pride specials, that I think that the we've done the gay coming out struggles of being gay thing to death. And I would really like now just to be uh, presented on screen with a gay couple who are just gay and getting on with the normal. They've got a struggle in life, but they just happen to be a gay couple. This really was the first of its kind of the gay coming out dramas. There's never really been anything like this before. I don't think. Oh, and most of the characters were already gay and out yeah. at the start of the series. So it it wasn't a mm. necessarily a coming out. There was the, the Nathan thing, which but that wasn't, admittedly wasn't handled the best. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. it wasn't really Nathan's coming out. No. It was... It was his reaction to the the scene and mm. how best to describe Stuart and Nathan's relationship. Grooming. Paedophilia. <laughs> Both work. Uh, what, <laughs> what was it, though? I mean, it was... Um, uh, oh, I mean, it's not from Stuart's point of view. It's not exactly uh, uh, covered in glory. But on the other side, it wasn't... Stuart sort of had his fill, and, so to speak. And then... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but then it was very much Nathan chasing him. It wasn't um, Stuart. For so you were arguing for Stockholm Syndrome. Shut your mouth. <laughs> I am not in the slightest. But it was the, the whole betrayal was very much Nathan pursuing Stuart yeah, after um, that first absolutely. initial. It wasn't Stuart sort of, hello, little boy. Yeah, that was, that was, it, wasn't, it wasn't like that. Yeah. And in retrospect, it sits a bit uncomfortably. Mm. Mm. Agreed, um, agreed. And that's the part of the drama that wouldn't be made now. But it goes on, and that's the problem. Just because something's unpalatable, and this is the problem I've got with 2021 as we stand, just because something's unpalatable doesn't mean that it doesn't go on, and it doesn't mean that it's not uh, a a viewpoint. We've got to the stage... I don't think it would be made in a positive light. No. Oh, absolutely. Which it was in... in Uh, If there was a 
29-year-old shagging a 15-year-old, it wouldn't be seen as the positive thing that it is in Queer as Folk. I'm not entirely sure it's seen as a positive thing. I think uh, looking at, again, I've used this phrase so many times before, but looking from the outside in, it actually looks like a 29-year-old bringing a 15-year-old out of his shell and sort of encouraging him and and helping him along his way. But actually, Stuart is not a positive character. There's nothing sympathetic looking uh, at that character that thinks, you, you know, you're sort of, uh, yeah, you're a bit fun and you're a bit of a groovy guy. and, and But it, it's that's how he's portrayed on screen. But it's it's very clearly that he is an utter dick. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, there's nothing positive about it. And, and once Vince goes, then his life starts to fall apart. So his support mechanism has gone. There's the, the bit in the art gallery where he's trying to cop off with some bloke who's there who just says, well, I was with you two years ago and it obviously wasn't that memorable. And Stuart's still pushing. And bloke just turns around and said, look, just fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) He he comes across as alone and lonely, doesn't he? He comes across as as quite desperate. Mm, Um, And he rewatching it several times, he always comes across right from the word go as as desperate. It's like any... Needing a vanity boost. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like any really good TV drama... Rewatching it, you see new things with it. There were bits in it that I didn't remember. I mean, Phil's death from the... Uh, I remember the funeral scene, but I don't remember the, the events leading up to it. And that was bloody horrible, actually. Dying on the kitchen floor. All kudos to that actor whose name I looked up last night and I cannot remember. Jason Merrill. His death scene on the <laughs> kitchen floor was bloody horrible. His eyes... They were, oh, oh, just dreadful. The overriding feeling that I've got from Queer as Folk and re-watching it back is, A, I'm surprised at how much I remember. Again, Murray Gold, he was the, the musician, but I remember the music, the musical choices. Oh, yeah, the music was good. Yeah. Mm. And even the ones that weren't actual uh, compositions for the series, you know, Sexy Burning, that was, it, it, for years, uh, even now I can't listen to that and we, not think of Queer as Folk. Well, we still have the soundtrack for Queer as Folk in our car for any any journeys. As I've said for several things before, but again, this is the one that sort of shattered the mould and said, look, this is what it's like being gay in 1999. You better fucking deal with it. Because from now on, we need you to pay attention, please. Yeah, we're here, we're queer, and we're staying. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gay, and I've got something to say. (laughs) (laughs) And it will be fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. And the button's pink. (laughs) So what's the red knob button, Dylan? Best not to answer. (laughs) So yes, um, step away from the flashing. Knobs. <laughs> it's a flashing bed knob. No, oh, stop yes. it! Stop. <laughs> I was bummed by the IF. <laughs> and on that, shall we go on to the second part of the episode? Queer as folk, the American version. We're going to go and watch series one, and uh, well, certainly the first couple of episodes. We're going to watch the first couple of episodes yeah. because I think it goes on for twenty-six episodes each. Season. Season, I think. And there are five seasons? seasons of it. Five. Yeah. Let's just do the first couple of episodes. <laughs> yes, that was my <laughs> yeah. plan. Run VT. How come you're always following him around? I am not always following him around. We're best friends. What are you doing? Nothing. You're just waiting for him to finish. 
I could be a, a, a real man if I wanted to. You know, just talk about hailing bitches, RBIs. Why do you have to come here? Sweetie, you know I approve of your lifestyle. You like girls, don't you? Uh, I don't kiss. Ryan doesn't do boyfriend. Fabulous. Exhale slowly. Well, that was Queer as Folk, uh, the American version, Series 1, Episode 1. What did we think, gentlemen? What's it? What are you looking at me? <laughs> Everybody's looking at, uh, we're looking at Alan, expecting oh, you. <laughs> you're you're going to open us up on this. Open us wide up, baby. <laughs> are you sitting comfortably? Wow. Or should we go? <laughs> to me, it was interesting. I'm comparing it to the original UK one too mm. much at the moment, and all I can see is the similarities and where they've embellished some bits of it because it's only in the last, what, six weeks, four weeks, that we rewatched the UK one. So the moment it's setting the scene, it's very similar to the UK one at the moment, but I'm sort of wanting to see which direction they take it off in. Are they going to, you know, follow the first eight true to form, then what follows after that? I'm sort of wanting to, if they're going to carry on that way, just skip the next seven episodes and jump straight to the ones where they're going off in a different direction, maybe. A different fork in the road. Paul? Mm. Yeah, it it was very similar to the first episode of the UK one, mm. almost line for line. <laughs> so it's like some some of the scenes were pretty much exactly the same. One thing, and I don't know whether it's just that I'm older, but the guy who was the the Nathan character, who he's Justin in the American character, he seemed really really young. He's uh, seventeen version uh, although he's you know <laughs> as is referenced in one of the uh, lines of dialogue it sounds like a, a, ca- <laughs> a countdown as it gets to his age. <laughs> yeah. but he's actually he is uh yeah he's 17 which i think is below the age of consent in america mm. what was the age of consent in 1999 for gay men was it 18 in england 18 18 well, that was really pushed. Nathan was really, I mean, he was yeah. below the, the straight age of consent as well. Yeah. That's a straight age of consent, which is the only thing that matters. <laughs> um, so in America, I think it's 21, I think. I think that's 21. For, I think it depends from it's state to state. State based, yeah. Well, there's only Texas that varies. In Texas, anything goes. Um, but <laughs> I watched the whole of that. Because we've watched Queer as Folk, the English version, so recently, personally speaking, I thought it was. It's a retread of the UK version. I'm not sure it's done better. Mm. It's done differently. It's a bit more graphic. Do you think? You see, I yeah, think I with think. a lot of, of US retreads, it's actually nowhere near as bold as the UK version. And that's what I thought with this. I mean, I agree with Paul that it, it's certainly for the first episode and for the first few episodes, it's a pretty faithful remake. There are little differences. So my, right. Michael goes along with with Brian and Justin to drop Justin off at the school where he wasn't, where it was just the two in the the UK one. But they're fairly minor differences. It, Vincent with Stuart in the UK version. All three of them were in the car at the school. Were they? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm remembering wrong there. Okay. Um, so there, there's almost no difference. Um, <laughs> the point at which it really sort of diverges is um, Ted's overdose. Because in the US one, he survives. In the UK one, there's the whole funeral thing. Bear in mind, we're only one episode mm. in, so it's slightly unfair to pick a preference. But this one, the US one, is not gripping me at all. Now, that's probably a cultural thing, that uh, I, I identify more with the Manchester version than the American version. I just think Even that Even though it's, it's made in Canada. <laughs> 
Um, it's set in set in America. It's supposed to be set in filmed, Philadelphia. I think it's filmed in Toronto. It's filmed in Toronto. But but I just don't think that it's it lacks the edge of the Manchester version for me. Uh, I mean, maybe mm. again, maybe that's just a cultural thing. I just don't think that it's. Mm. I have to say it. It looked very good, mm. but the sound mm. design compared to the uh, the UK one was very flat. Well, there was a point, bear in mind, that this is... I've set my amplifier to watch movies in 5.1. And at one point, Alan, fairly early on, you said, can you please turn it <laughs> off? I've not got bloody good hearing. I was waiting for time to say, because your hearing's normally... Uh, Shit. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, but I have seen this before. But even so, I, I, I thought, actually, you know, I don't want to deafen everybody by turning this, you know, cranking this right up. I'm really actually quite glad you said that. Sound design wise, again, there's a lot of there's actually a lot of English music in this. Yeah, but there's a lot of silence as well. I'm not blown away by this. It's like the English version just but flat. Yeah, it yeah, really comes into missing. It, it really comes into, into its own in the second series because by then it is doing its doing its own thing. It's not copying the English version. It is its own plot. The incidental characters who get very little screen time in the English one, so Michael's mum. And it's a shame we didn't see her because she's played by Sharon Glass from Cagney and Lacey. <laughs> so she becomes a, uh, a more significant character. Her housemate becomes a more significant character. She has her own relationships and romances that become important and significant I think it's it's one of those where because we're comparing it and it is uh, the first episode is a pretty much straight yeah. comparison to the English one. Whereas when it does go and does its own thing, I can imagine that it took on its own life. But obviously, after after the first few episodes or after, after ten episodes, the English one finished and yeah. and that was it. Well, have any of you guys seen the American version of The Office? No. No. No, but I really didn't like the British version of The Office. So <laughs> no. It was never something I was going to be wildly keen on. I have seen the American version of The Thick of It. and Right, which you have got the edge on me on. Now, I quite liked, I know you hated the the English version of The Thick of It. I didn't hate it. It bored the crap out of me. What? Okay, it bored you. But, um, the... And the American version bored the crap out of me for exactly the same reason. I was expecting it to be another West Wing mm. or, what was that Kevin Spacey thing? House way. of Cards. House of Cards, yes. Yeah, that was brilliant. Um, that was good. Um, was House of Cards US based on? The UK, the France yeah, Circuit. the France Circuit. Yes. And again, fairly loosely based on, but the UK House of Cards is fairly loosely based on the, the novels, so. Mm. I don't know. Without seeing the rest of it, it would be unfair to, to comment on it as a series, but as with a lot of things which translate over the pond, they take it and they remake it and they dilute everything that made it endearing in the first place, whitewash it and Americanize it, and you end up with this sort of faint imprint of the British version. It's not the way it ends up. I didn't think that first episode was great. It's years since I've seen it. It develops into a an interesting and entertaining series in its own right. It, mm. it, it's fairly typical HBO stuff. It was around about the same time as Six Feet Under and things like that. Because it ran for five series. It so, did. I mean, they, they really took this and ran with that. And were the sort of 10, 12 episodes at a time, or was it a 20-odd 20, 20 episode? Yeah. Uh, but, but usually American series run for longer than British series. So, but uh, if, there, if there's 100-odd episodes, it must be at least 20 mm. yeah. per series. Yeah. And you get more in-depth storylines. You get interesting storylines. So rather than just the, the school pretty much ignoring the, the fact that 
Nathan is gay, apart from the occasional comment in uh, in in classes, and then he stands up to the teacher, and it's all forgotten about. In the American one, um, he gets his head caved in with a baseball bat, and then there is the recovery from that because he he takes Brian to his to one of his proms, and after that, gets his head caved in. And survives and recovers. And <laughs> <laughs> oh well, thank goodness for that for story, you know, for the story arc reasons. But um, and uh, Ted and Emmett end up a couple, and then there, there are further drug issues. The fellow who gives Ted the drugs becomes a more major character later on. Uh, because you, you made a, an interesting comment about Emmett halfway through the voice. Oh, he was the voice of Steve in Rick and Steve. The happiest gay couple in, in all, all the, the world. world. <laughs> yes. And he, he he plays quite a quite a camp character in this. Bear in mind how pissed we were at the time. I only remember and them being sort of they're Lego. Lego. <laughs> I'm going to say Lego characters. That's all I remember. I think it's time for a second squeeze of the tonic screwdriver. Let's get the lid off the bottle. I'm trying to keep up this. You can't keep up with it. (laughs) Now we've got the pronouns and anything other else. It's just like, Alan is the straightest gay man you'll ever meet. (laughs) Well, I I have found this week, um, (laughs) just uh, before we we open the bottle, (laughs) I found this week my my favourite acronym of all time Mm. where the gay world is concerned because it covers all the bases. LGBT QWERTY. Yeah, QWERTY. <laughs> yeah. There's every single letter in there. So yeah. if, you, if you don't feel that you're represented, fuck you. That The entire alphabet's in there. Anyway, yes, it, it, it's gin time. Welcome back to the uh, LGBT for the second time today. And it is Stone... the tonic screwdriver? Yeah, it's a cricket reference. Uh, it's Stonewall Pink Rhubarb Gin. Now, the Info Bollocks is precisely the same as the Stonewall Extra Smooth Gin, uh, except that this is handcrafted with small batches of botanical, including almonds, sea buckthorn, berries, cardamom, and citrus peel. Which I'm sure the last one was. Anyway, this one's pink. But no, rhubarb. Rhubarb is not mentioned. <laughs> They've clearly just recycled the same label, you cheap bastards. Um, what do we think of the sniff? Oh, there's rhubarb coming out of it. Oh, definite oh, rhubarb. Yeah. I can smell rhubarb. That's good. There's a definite rhubarb taste to it. Oh, very rhubarby. Mm. Um, with a, a mm. bit of an edge to it as well. I really like that. It's a sweet rhubarb, isn't it? Mm. There's a bittery tin, tingle underneath. That's different, yeah. That's really nicely blended. See, the, the original Stonewall gin, I think I gave four out of five to. That was a mistake because it got less good. It, it drifted into three territory the further down the glass I got. That's really nice, actually. Yeah, that, that is re- it's far nicer. Surely I'm this is... I'm thinking five. It's got to be the 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 gin of the... The gin of the Jays. The... <laughs> It tastes gay, doesn't it? it <laughs> Which I think was what you were about to say. Salt, salty then. undertones. <laughs> That's what it is, Aaron. <laughs> I think it was Who Dares Wings who said, smells like pancake mix, tastes like salt and vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> we seem to have broken Ken. <laughs> and Alan's not far behind. So Paul... <laughs> Well, they recover. <laughs> it takes down a traitor. Gay. <laughs> it does, though. You can't argue with that. 
Well, on that I, review alone, doesn't know what gay tastes like. I have got <laughs> to give it five out of five. <laughs> I've got to say, I'm really enjoying the feel of that in my mouth, and it tastes. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, when you swallow it, God, you feel good. So, yeah, a five out of five Stonewall Pink Room Gym. Five out of five for oh, me, that's yeah. definitely good. Compared with the other Stonewall one, which I said was a bit bland and wasn't mm. really sort of vibrant, this definitely is very good. You see, the thing is, Alan, it tastes gay. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, I've never heard a drink described like that before, but yes, I can understand where you're coming from. <laughs> so why the fuck, guys, have you got Pride Gin instead of Stonewall Pink Rhubarb Gin? Seriously, guys, get your act together. If you're going to be gay, take it seriously. Some Five. people just have no commitment. Five out of five for me. A groove of biscuits. So, um, uh, oh, I've lost my train of thought. Is goodbye the word you like? It is. I'm going I'm I'm to wrap us up, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, it's always about time. Let, let, let sheath us up and, uh, uh, and withdraw. Anyway, yes. So, uh, on balance, gentlemen, would we? Yes. That's, that's, that's there it is. the one. <laughs> Simon, of course, you have uh, seen more. Than most people. Than most people. <laughs> See more. Can you be a little more specific? You see more cock than most of us have around this table. Would you recommend? <laughs> You're talking. <laughs> would you recommend? Would I recommend the cock. Yes, who would? <laughs> um, we've both seen Queer as Folk one and two. None of you have been overly complimentary about Queer as Folk two in the UK. As a oh, long do you mean term, the US. No, uh, in the oh Queer as Folk two in the yeah uh, yeah it's a bit shit. Yeah. As far as the US versions, so you've hinted it's more sort of worth saying the course. Oh yeah. Is there any point in seeing the next few episodes? Because we know what's going to happen. Well, skip except, them and then go further things down. things do diverge within a few episodes. I mean, you can skip the first series, which is basically an extended version of, of the UK one, and then it splits off. They they pretty much don't do anything that's in Queer as Folk 2 in the UK one. And, I mean, Russell T. Davis isn't wildly keen on it. He basically said he only did it because he had to. Uh, you, you have hinted that you sort of dragged into it. And uh, uh, Queer as Folk 1, uh, the UK version, I must admit, I did enjoy. It's, I, I personally feel, uh, from a non-gay perspective, it's aged quite well. I didn't, it, you know, it, it looks sort of of its time now. But considering that 20-odd years have passed now since that was on, yep. mm. it was still fairly modern in its way of storytelling. And uh, it was still quite gripping the characters. I know they've been described as more archetypes than actual characters. You guys have actually lived through life in Manchester. And London, yep. Yeah, so you will know exactly whether those are, are, are real sorts of characters or not. There are people like that, though. It's like when you were talking about um, It's a Sit, mm. and you were talking about the, the main character, Richie, who... Is an <laughs> arsehole. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which, and he was kind of the... Precursor to Stuart, yeah, uh, because obviously he was probably like what Stuart was like when he was younger. If he hadn't died, if he, if he hadn't yeah. had a and was older, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but it, it was all it was all part of the we're allowed to be gay now, so we're just going to do whatever we want, and we, you know, you can't stop us. Is the the attitude, wasn't it? And there, there are a lot of people out there like that, and there still mm. are a lot of people. Out yeah, there like from that. the straight perspective, I find it incredibly irritating, but it, but no more so than I find <laughs> entitled straight people irritating that they, hey, this is me, and if you don't like it, you can fuck mm. off. Yeah, it's straight people like that are irritating too. It, it's just the whole. Um, 
in Russell T. Davis dramas, the gay protagonist is always A, an asshole, and B, like that, and C, you no one ever tries to stop it. them. Yeah. You know, they, they, you know, they'll drive a Jeep through a car showroom window <laughs> and like, hey, I'm gay, and what are you going to say? And then they drive <laughs> off and the music plays and, uh, and, and everything is fine. There's no repercussions. Where in real life, you know, you get the shit kicked out of you, as you would if you were straight. But in Russell T. Davis dramas, you don't. Come back. Yeah, that sounds fair. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, that's the only bit of, of Russell T. Davis's writing I've got a bit of a problem with. That if you're gay and you do something shitty to someone, even if it's in retaliation, there's no comebacks. Yeah, yeah like in um, Cucumber or Banana or whichever one. I can't, I can't them, remember right. which one. But in one of those, someone clubs someone over the head, doesn't he, with a golf club or something? And there's very few com- consequences. I haven't seen that. that to Cucumber. Is it Cucumber? Yeah. yeah. Have, have I, I just I made that up? It. No, no, no. It, it's the <laughs> it's the lawyer fella, isn't it? Yeah. He dies of it and is. His boyfriend, who's the he inherits the house, and then there's that irritating blonde. Is he? Isn't he gay? One who, who flirts with everybody, but doesn't doesn't do anything. Kind of moves into the house, and I I wasn't really wildly keen on the cucumber mm-hmm. no cucumber banana oh, tofu thing. We may have drifted slightly yeah, off topic. No, 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 no. It's <laughs> entirely my fault because I, I led you down that rabbit hole as uh, as we want to do on EME. But on and the we whole, even mentioned Bob and Rose. <laughs> Oh, go on, I'll allow you. It's the, it's the Pride special. What's Bob and Rose? It's another RTD <clears throat> drama about a gay man who falls in love with a woman. Outrageous. That's kind of the attitude. <laughs> a, a, a big chunk of the, the drama. <laughs> this sounds like something we need to revisit at some point. Yeah, it was Alan Davies and... Yeah. Oh, I can't remember who played Rose. Was it, was it her that did Mrs. Silvestri in Midnight? Yeah, they, Lindsay, Lindsay Coulson. It's years since I've seen Bob and Rose, but it was Carol, very good. Carol off EastEnders. Uh, Russell T. Davis <laughs> does tend to uh, recycle his actors, actresses, directors, producers, and indeed incidental music composers. So <laughs> it, it seems reasonable that I'm only surprised that none of the uh, QAF gang have appeared in Doctor Who. Apart from Craig Kelly. Or in Schalke. Yeah. But he was nothing to do with RTD. Actually, I've no idea what bloke you played Stuart is doing now. Craig Kelly was in Coronation Street for years and years and years. Oh, was he? Yeah. Mm. Charlie Hunnam went over to America and he, he was... He was in Sons of Anarchy. Which is, he, was, he was also meant to be in Fifty Shades of Grey, but he pulled out. <laughs> well, he must have been very worried about that uh, in particular... Um, Gavin's career. Possibly it's more because the books were unbelievably bad. I can't believe how bad those books were. They were released almost simultaneously, and in Asda it was two for seven pounds. <laughs> so yes, I ended up uh, buying uh, one, two, and three, and one again to give away to somebody I was seeing at the time. <laughs> and uh, after... How are we? A good ten years after the fact. I've tried three times to get through the first book, I think I'm eight or nine chapters in. It's awful. It's the worst book I've ever read. That takes some fucking beating. They're incredibly badly written. Yeah. Um, when Fifty Shades Grey first came out, I was a very junior doctor working in a surgical firm, I think, and I used to do night shifts. And I was constantly getting called to review middle-aged female patients who had started to get tachycardics, their their heart rate had started to go up. And every single one of them, I turned up and they had 50 shades of grey by the bedside. So they were getting themselves all overexcited about 50 shades of grey. 
I've read a couple of chapters. It's really, really badly written. And very tame. I, I wouldn't care. It's not exactly... I've skipped ahead to the, uh, in air quotes, erotic stuff. <laughs> this is really tame shit. Are you are into your hardcore... Yes, I know. Fetish I don't get off on in porn unless there's snuff and a dog involved. Yes. So it's, um, but no, it, it was so badly written. This, you know, this strong, bear in mind, it's written by, the, the books are written by a woman. The lead character is essentially, you know, the, Anna, the female. She faints every five <laughs> seconds. You know, if the light turns to green before she's ready for it, she faints. It's awful. It's dreadful stuff. How on earth did that become a bestseller and made into three softcore erotic movies? What on earth's going on with the world? Your, your standards are seriously low earth. The silence from around the table. I've either, you either disagree or, or agree no, so I, much. I, I, agree, I, agree, I agree completely. If you want to watch that kind of film, watch Secretary. Secretary's a great film. Yes, exactly. Secretary's amazing. It's, it's erotic without. I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey is. is um, it's in a world where there's never been an erotic novel written, and people have suddenly discovered erotic novels for the first time and thought, "Why are there not more novels written like this?" I, I'm wet just at the thought of reading this book, when there have been, you know, fifty years worth of erotic novels written. Better erotic literature when it's done right is far more of a turn on than porn. <laughs> So yes, uh, having drifted quite away <laughs> off the gay theme, um, yeah. Well, next time on on EME, we'll be discussing gay erotic literature. Uh, well, if you're going to discuss podcasting and erotic literature, you should really talk about my dad wrote a porno. Educators, uh, it's time for <laughs> podcast of the week. It's three friends. One of whom has a father who has a sideline in writing erotic novels. Erotic in air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're unbelievably bad. And Rocky the th- Flintstone. It is Rocky <laughs> Flintstone. And it's a hugely successful podcast and very entertaining. The three of them on each episode read one of the chapters <laughs> of the novel. It is absolutely hilarious. And one of the three is a gay fellow, so it does have a link into Pride. Yay. <laughs> Yay, coops. Yeah, woo. Yeah, the ways of the gays. You, you sort of crowbar your way into everything with uh, lube and a bit of force. Not necessarily, but yeah. <laughs> well, if you're going to dry fuck your way into the podcast, then there's, there's no better way in. Anyway, forget all People that. like you are the reason why we still need pride. Yes, because I, I'm, I'm so straight and homophobic. I hate you all. I'm only here for the gin. The gay gin. And uh, with tongue very firmly planted in uh, (laughs) cheek, I shall kiss goodbye to my beautiful packet of fags and you, dear listeners. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening to us. We hope you've enjoyed it. We hope you've not been offended. If you have, the pause button's there. I'm Ken Moss. I shall be back next week with my beautiful co host, the packet of fags. Thank you very much, boys and girls. Good night. Bye now. Bye. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Rishton, Lancashire and produced by Maverick Productions.
For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.